Let's try this one more time from the top. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Man, wow. That was some interesting technical difficulties that we had there. Um, thanks so much for bearing with me. We had a little bit of a technical snafu uh, in the beginning of this, of this video a moment ago, but uh, we have all of our equipment running again now. So glad to be able to move forward finally. Hopefully we, we've, uh, we're finally done with having gremlins messing with our lines here. But anyway, power lines, whatever. So let's, uh, I guess, start this up from the top again. Hello, once again, world. My name is Don, and you're watching Showcase for the week ending Sunday, May 22nd, 2022. And this is our Sunday show. And of course, that means weird headlines and your live chat comments. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to hit that like button and the subscription bell. And as always, if you're with me live right now here on YouTube, or we're also live streaming at, on Instagram at Weekend Showcase, don't forget to drop a line in the live chat, and I might read it off on the air. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with the first order of business. Well, actually, I should say the second order of business. We uh, did already mention something really briefly regarding the first item on the list, which was about a, um, a dog that wandered into somebody's bed, basically trying to sh seek shelter from the storm. Um, we already read that off. I'm not going to go ahead and retread that, but the, uh, the direct link to more information about this is in the description down below. And the same with all of the topics that we cover on this show. So um, feel free to click through to that if you want to see a little bit more on that topic, but we got to move on. Uh, next topic is again from Huffington Post, just like the first one. Germantown grounds cats to avoid a catastrophe for rare birds. Okay. I didn't even know that... Uh, the cats were sort of stepping out of line and needed to be grounded. I mean, you know, goodness, with senior prom coming up, that's got to be a big letdown being grounded like that. Uh, here we are. Authorities, actually, you know what? Let me just go down here. Authorities in the southwest German town of Waldorf have ordered some cat owners to keep their pets indoors until the end of August to protect a rare bird during its breeding season. The decree is designed to help save the crested lark, which makes its nest on the ground and is therefore easy prey for feline hunters. The bird's population in Western Europe has declined sharply in recent decades. Okay, so it's, it's all about basically saving a, an endangered um, species, essentially, um, or, or a, a species of indigenous animal whose population is significantly lower than what I would otherwise be ideal to justify something like this happening in the first place. Authorities in Waldorf wrote that, among other things, the survival of the species depends on every single chick. I mean... Yeah, it's pretty simple, straightforward. The decree, which applies to all cats in the southern part of the town and will be repeated for the coming three years, has reportedly prompted meows of anguish from pet owners. That's funny. Um, that's, <laughs> yeah, this is a little bit weird, but at least it's, it's you know, it's one of those situations where it's, it's government sort of like stepping in in the interest of wildlife preservation, which is something that doesn't normally sort of get a whole lot of oxygen. Um, this day and age. So that's at least uh, the sort of thing that's, that's happening. It's happening with a, with a positive context and a positive intent, you know, um, basically preserving the environment, preserving wildlife. So it's a weird execution, sort of taking it out on the local cat population. But um, hey, as long as everybody remembers to help control the stray cat population, um, or actually, sorry, the cat population. Darn it, I did the joke wrong. Help control the cat population, have your cats spayed or neutered, is where I was going with that, because it's been a while since I last saw a Price is Right episode, so there you go. Anyway, y'all know where I was going with that. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, so next topic, 
once uh, the roster of topics finishes loading up on my screen here, we can move on. Here we are. Come on, come on browser, work for daddy. Here you are. So this is from UPI, Idaho man runs half marathon while wearing 111 t-shirts. Okay, this is weird. This is weird to a degree that is utterly cartoonishly unnecessary. This actually looks like the sort of thing that you used to see people doing um, doing a, uh, like challenges on in, in social media. You know, like the, uh, what is it? The, like the Tide Pod challenge many years ago. I don't know if y'all remember seeing that sort of thing where, where like kids, high schoolers, we're actually consuming Tide Pods or something. This really like really dangerous stuff, you know, like Tide Pods. That's that's straight up chemicals. That's basically like soap, bleach, you know, that you're eating. Like that's that was a thing several years ago. Fortunately, I don't see too much of that happening left uh, happening on the internet these days. But still, it's the fact that we did that. Good grief, as a culture. Um. Anyway, oh, okay. Here's a YouTube video. This might be a little bit better to describe. Come back here is mostly filled with ice. Out to the chest freezer. Where I've got some half bottles of ice already. Yeah, he's got like, like 111 t-shirts. And the folks, it's David Rush going for the Guinness World Records title for the most t-shirts worn for a half marathon. Current record is 82. I'm going for 111 today. It's time to put on the t-shirts. Why do you do such an activity is the better question to ask here. 10 t-shirts. 10 pounds weight. Yeah, this is a social media challenge that's just been taken to an unnecessary degree. I actually remember seeing some kid many years ago doing a similar sort of stunt like this. And actually, this poor girl got trapped inside of her shirt. 52.4. Vimazi. This is crazy. Okay, it's saying the previous record holder had 82 shirts on at the same time. While running this mar while running the marathon. There's a hundred of Three, two, one, yeah. hit it! Have fun! We'll see you at the finish! And we have David Rush. He's wearing a hundred and eleven t-shirts. It looks like he's gained about 200 pounds since the last time I talked to him. Three, two, one, go! Right, good luck, David. We'll see you at the finish. We were off a little bit behind most other people. Uh, we didn't finish putting on the t-shirts till right before the start, so we had a little cleanup to do at the end. I don't feel too claustrophobic yet, but we're only about 20 seconds in. It looks like he's cosplaying as the Michelin, as like the Michelin Man. Like three quarters of a mile in, I got to gel at the start because we're a little behind. So, where is that? A gogurt? Uh, it's about now. It's been taking me two and a half, three hours to finish this. We don't have energy. I mean, I don't need water after this. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like some sort of an energy thing. Yeah, I imagine it's got to be difficult to move around freely. All right, first gel, a little water. A little under 12 minute pace. So, Let's just got to keep this up for a while. a little bit. Uh, I'll try and find the end here. There's the finish line. Two hours, 51 minutes, 40 seconds. 
111 t-shirts worn to completion of a half marathon. That's a new world record. So there you go, man. <laughs> That's not the sort of thing that I could I could imagine myself doing, or even before this episode right now, even seeing somebody do. But there you go. All right. So that was uh, that was that. And once again, that and all the other topics that we're covering tonight are going to be in the description of this video down below on our YouTube page. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, hello to those of you who are watching live right now. And those of you who are on our Instagram right now, we're live there as well right now at Weekend Showcase. Uh, don't forget to like and hit the notification bell. Let's move on to another item from UPI. Paper plane takes record-breaking 252-foot flight in South Korea. Whoops. This little... Uh, Slack thing just totally superseded the screen here. Let's just let's just click through it and see what happens here. Okay, hopefully there's a YouTube clip attached to it. Do we have a clip? Yes, we do. Uh, this is another world record thing. Farthest flight by a paper aircraft. The accuracy, the skill, the craftsmanship. So how does it, so I'm, I'm actually wondering, like, do they sort of like measure the distance by like how far it sort of travels after the, after it comes to a complete stop? Because it has to sort of like get rid of that last bit of momentum as it comes into contact with the ground, or do they sort of like review the footage to sort of see exactly where it touched down on the ground and measure that point to determine the distance traveled? Kind of hard to tell from there. No, they're not going to highlight it. Yeah, it looks like they're just going to stop from... Nope! Okay, they, they're, they're measuring it from the point of contact with the ground. So, first flight by paper aircraft. Again, this is in South Korea. 77.134 meters, it looks like. There are translations on the bottom of the screen. Only one sheet of paper and a small amount of tape is committed for the glider. Achieved by Kim Kyu-tai from South Korea with the support of Shin Woo-jun and Shi Yi-jan. Hong Kong and Malaysia. I apologize profusely. I, that's my best attempt at pronouncing uh, the names that appeared on screen. Uh, wow. Okay. So that's uh, that's another Guinness record. We basically kicked this off. Except we basically kicked this off today. It seems with uh, some random pet stories and Guinness World Records. That's uh, we had basically a double shot of both to kick things off today. That's a combination that we rarely get. So there you go. I'm trying to remember. I think it's been a good few weeks since the last time we saw a, a record being broken. Uh, let's see. Here's something else. This is another thing from UPI. Maryland woman earns bachelor's degree at the age of 82. Wow. Well, it is graduation season, and it is never too late to go back. It's never too late to sort of achieve closure on uh, longstanding personal goals. Um, let's see. And 82. Wait a minute. We have a video here. Let's check this out. Will well, you're never too old to learn. That's right, and that's what a new college graduate told us today, one day after celebrating her 82nd birthday. News 4's Darcy Spencer has the words of wisdom from an inspiring grad. 
May Abiel walks across the stage to receive her diploma at University of Maryland Global Campus in Adelphi. It's taken her decades of perseverance and determination to get here. I'm feeling excited, happy, energized, all the positive things that you can say when you have accomplished a mission. She just celebrated her 82nd birthday, but you see, there's a question mark on her birthday cake instead of candles with numbers. She doesn't like to talk about her age. Number one, you're never too old to learn, but number two, you got to be intentional and you got to keep your eye on your prize, not a, their prize. Guy, there's a but guy in the background prize. eating was born popcorn and raised casually. In DC. <laughs> she retired after working for the federal government for decades. She fell into event planning years ago and started her own business. And you don't ever, ever let people deter you because people always want to tell you what to do, how to do, when to do. But you have to you have to do you. Beale started working toward her associate's degree in business management in the 90s. She says her son encouraged her to go back to school and get her bachelor's degree. My mantra is it's never too late to follow your dreams. Beale was surrounded by family, friends and admirers documenting yeah. her special day. This is my aunt. OK, let me let me just stop this here. Like 100 percent, 100 percent. Congratulations. Like this is. This is one of those things that actually resonates really, really deeply for me because um, I've, I've been in that same bandwagon of having to sort of um, revisit college, revisit higher education after many years being away. Um, like I, I think I mentioned before on this show, I did early college work during my teen years and then came back to school, uh, went, went back to college at age 27, basically, um, which that's when I went to um, NSU, Norfolk State University, which is where I've met a lot of colleagues that y'all have seen, regular viewers of this channel have come across. Um, I met Tim through a, a friend who went to who went to classes there. Um, Thurgood is an alma mater. Kiera is an alma mater. Um, by now, um, Kyler, I don't know if y'all remember Kyler from uh, from last season. Uh, by now, she's an alma mater. So it's it's you know we're all that's where we all basically met you know, and I happened to join that club uh, a little bit later in life, but I know I'm not alone and I'm far from farthest along, uh, along that trajectory, 82 years young. That is, that is incredible to have like, to have like gone through um, this process, especially when you think about the fact that the, her class load, at the very least, I wager some of it had to have been done remotely. I mean, when was the last time that you tried to teach your like mom or grandmother or an older relative who's not who may not naturally be technologically inclined how to use a computer how to use email how to turn it how to generate a word file or an excel document or a powerpoint spreadsheet or excuse me a powerpoint a powerpoint presentation or an excel spreadsheet attach it to an email and submit it in for a grade on time like when was the last time you had to teach someone uh, how to do that you know of a of an older generation it's like it's it's there are levels of uh, admirability that are in play here with a with a story like this and and definitely like congratulations um, for pulling this off. Let's uh let's let's move on to the next topic here. Let's see. And I myself uh, graduated from NSU. I forgot to mention uh, in 2020, spring of 2020. So like I got like a taste of it. Like I like I remember getting trying to get coursework done remotely like in the beginning of the pandemic when like nobody really had a real precise understanding of how in the world does education happen? How does, how do, how do meetings, how do study sessions happen? It was crazy. 
<laughs> we have a comment. 82 getting uh, from YouTube. 82 getting her degree. Good for her. And she in no way looks her age. Facts. Facts. Um, anyway, let's move on. This is from UPI. Wisconsin man marks 50 years of daily Big Mac meals. You know what's crazy? I think I saw something about this on uh, Instagram uh, earlier today. That's bizarre that I'm actually coming across this like here in the roster. Our uh, news researchers here on the show actually just happened to stumble across the same thing and posted in the feed for me to pull up here. So this is from UPI posted on May 18th. A Wisconsin, let me just skip down a bit. Here we go. Don Gorski, G-O-R-S-K-E. Don Gorski of Fond du Lac earned a Guinness World Record, again with Guinness, in 1999 when he was confirmed to have eaten 15,490 of the McDonald's sandwiches in his lifetime. <laughs> and the record was most recently updated in August 2021 when his total, he beat his own record, when his total surpassed 32,000 340 um, uh, Big Macs. Wow. And you thought Morgan Spurlock had a knack for supersizing things. Gorski is now celebrating 50 years of eating a Big Mac almost every day since May 17, 1972. The burger fan who said he most often eats two of the sandwiches on a given... This guy eats two Big Macs on, every, on a given day, said he has missed only eight days in his 50-year fandom. In 50 years, this guy eats two Big Macs every single day and has only missed eight days in that whole 50-year stretch. Seriously? Seriously? Wow. Uh, Gorski has said he tried other burgers, but nothing stuck with him like the Big Mac. He said, quote, I had one Burger King Whopper in 1984 and one Topper Double Burger in 1984. What is Topper? I don't know what that is. There are a lot of other burger chains that I have never had the desire to try. I'll probably be eating Big Macs every day for the rest of my life end quote. Wow. Um, like I said, I don't even know what Topper is, but I mean, yeah, everybody knows Burger King. Everybody's familiar with the Whopper by now. I can't imagine going through this, uh, like eating fast food every single day with that level of um, like almost religious frequency, you know, like, literally every single day for a half a century. And the guy's still alive. Like there needs to be like a case study here. Like, how is this physiology, how is this physiology able to effectively process that much, you know, fried, greased up food, you know, uh, every single day? You know, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine that, quite frankly. But I mean, hey, it's, I guess if you, if you got the, if you got the money, if you got the time, if you have the gastrointestinal system, <laughs> if you have the arteries, you know, if you have the physiology to support it, um, I don't know. That's more power to you, I guess. Um, I, uh, man, I mean, I've seen weirder Guinness World Records, I gotta say. But um, hey, more power to him, I guess, um, for lack of a better sort of exclamation point to put on that particular topic. Um, if anybody's more uh, curious about this or any of the other topics that I'm talking about tonight, once again, just a reminder, this and all the links to all the stories that we're talking about are listed in the description below on this YouTube video. Um, so you can go ahead and look further into that at your own leisure. Let's go ahead and move forward to another one. We're at the bottom of the hour right now. It's about 6.30 in the East Coast, a little after 6.30. Arkansas bat baseball fan catches a raccoon in the stands. That is a hilarious, hilarious thumbnail. Look at that. That is hysterical. 
what in the world? This looks like something out of a cartoon. This guy kept just holding the holding this wild animal out at arm's length like that. That looks like a screenshot out of a cartoon. You couldn't pay me to believe that this was real world. This 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 really happened in the real world. And yet here we are. There's a picture. <laughs> Let's take a look. <laughs> I guess I'm just gonna have to believe it somewhat with with the existence of footage. Here we go. Here's another. Uh, here's a YouTube video about this. Let's check it out. Well, tonight's Razorback baseball game delayed until tomorrow due to storms, but nearly two and a half million views. That's how many people on Twitter watched a video from last night's baseball game. It had nothing to do with the ball game and everything to do with what happened in the left field stands. It's been a wild 24-hour ride for Razorback fan Grant Harmon. He grabbed the headlines of Twitterverse after grabbing this raccoon. I was sitting there watching the game, and uh, we heard some, some commotion uh, going on behind us. And, uh, you know, we didn't really know what it was at first until we saw uh, we saw it, you know, run like right, right beside us. Like everyone else packing the stands at Bob Walker Stadium Friday night, Grant was watching the action on the field until the action right below him took over. The next thing I knew it was uh, <laughs> it was right below my feet. So my uh, I guess my instincts just kind of kicked in and I just uh, just reached out and grabbed it. Grant grabbed Grab a wild not animal. Just fans, but players on the field and in the bullpen. We didn't really know exactly what to do, so I, I got, you know, what I thought was far enough outside of the stadium, and then I, you know, just kind of gave it a little toss onto the ground in the parking lot, and that's when uh, kind of went to let it go. But not before the raccoon gave Grant a parting bite. His plans uh -oh. to go back into the stadium turned into a visit to the ER. They had a medical team come, and uh, they kind of said it was in my best interest to, to go to a local ER and, and, uh, and get the rabies shot. So that's that's what I ended up doing. The Razorback yeah. Raccoon is now blowing up Twitter. ESPN Radio and Barstool Sports is talking about it, and Grant was invited to the announcer's booth to tonight's game. The last 24 hours, it's uh, it's definitely been crazy. I'm not one for for the spotlight or you know the the, the famous lifestyle, so it's definitely uh, something new to me. But hopefully it wasn't a rabid raccoon that led to a rabid following of this rabid Razorback fan. It's definitely been cool, I guess. I'm probably just going to ride the wave until until it dies down. Wow. Okay. Now, I don't know what, how in the world did a raccoon get all the way that far up in the stands? Did y'all see where, did y'all see where, uh, where he was in the stands, like with relation, like um, in relation to the front row, like the closest to the, the outer edge of the baseball diamond and therefore like ground level, how hot, how far up that raccoon had to go into the crowd for somebody to notice it and then like be perfectly positioned to be able to be grabbed like quickly like that in such a way that all he got was a, was a bite and like not far worse damage to his arm. I mean, frankly, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't get more damage from that. I mean, that's, that's, that's bizarre to me. That's, uh, that's definitely weird news right there. That's definitely weird news of a sort. Um, what's, what's the strangest thing that um, actually, you know what, let me back up for a second. What do y'all think would be like the thing that y'all would do if you saw a wild animal sort of like get up under you like that, you know, in a, in a setting like that, you know, like would you, would you try to like get it out of the way or would you sort of like freak out and try to alert somebody or whatever, you know, like I can't, I can't imagine that I would, um, that I would pick it up like that. Like that's a little bit above my pay grade there. Um, I, I need some like hazard pay as an audience member to even really think about doing that, 
you know, like that's just the further, that would be the furthest off of my mind, quite honestly. But anyway, hey, guy did it and the animal apparently was released uh, safely and he got the rabies shot. So all's well, that ends well for the most part. But I still think that is an unbelievable. Yeah, he's a, if you look at this, if you look at the crowd in front of him, he's at least, at least one, maybe two rows up into the stands. Like that raccoon had to do some serious crawling up there in order to get caught like that. But anyway, yeah, this is, uh, that's bizarre. All right, let's move on. <laughs> no raccoons in baseball. Exactly. Jeez, that's rule number one. Like I just, I specifically remember Tom Hanks saying nothing like that in a league of their own. Moving on. For this is from UPI, electric car drifts for 27.12 miles and breaks world record. We have another Guinness item. All right, everybody, let's do it. We got a little Fast and Furious action happening here. Oh, okay, we have a vertical video. This is probably from Instagram. Yep. All righty, let's, uh, let's take a look. This is an electric car movie like this? Oh, that's clean. This makes me want to play Forza right now. Congratulations! Hey, Bob! Come on, buddy. Man, okay. Um, a Chinese car company broke a Guinness World Record when one of its electric cars drifted for 27.12 miles on a wet surface. ZG Motors driver Wei Pengda, aka Panda, took a ZG L7 electric car for a spin on a wet track in Shanghai and managed to drift for 258 laps, 27.12 miles. Wei's drifting lasted for one hour and six minutes. Guinness World Records said the feat broke the record for longest drift in an electric car on a wet surface. The previous record, 26.2 miles, was set by driver Dennis Rutera in a Porsche Taycan, T-A-Y-C-A-N, Taycan? In August 2020, uh, I sincerely hope there aren't any like car people who are going to just totally destroy me in the comments feed later. Hello, those of you who are joining me right now live on uh, Instagram at Weekend Showcase. Check out the full version of this video over on uh, youtube.com slash Weekend Showcase. There should be a link further up in the comments feed there as well. Um, oh, hello. Y'all can't see off camera. My, uh, my dog just sort of like nuzzled her way into the room. Sorry. Daddy's working right now. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll catch up with you a little bit later in about 20 minutes. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic. Uh, let's see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully she won't uh, step on my cords. Everything's kind of like carefully sort of orchestrated behind the scenes here. <laughs> we, I think we're about done with uh, technical glitches for the night. Yeah, okay, good. She just left, so yeah, we're good. Um, let's move on. Uh, next item on the docket is back in Huffington Post. Man in Japan gets town's COVID funds by mistake and gambles it away. Oh no! Okay, this is one of those. This is one of those big deal sort of things that really kind of like has been making a lot of headlines uh, in in recent months with scandals about fraud with um uh, with the with the distribution of COVID recovery funds. You know, there's a lot of stuff along those lines that's been happening in America um, over the last year, year and a half, and apparently it's 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 more widespread than that. This is this was from uh, Associated Press. The money was supposed to be COVID-19 assistance for low-income households in a small Japanese town, 
but it was mistakenly wired to a bank account of a resident who refused to, to return it and spent most of it on online gambling, police said. Sho Taguchi, a 24-year-old jobless resident in the town of Abu in Western Japan, was arrested on Wednesday, Yamaguchi Prefectural Police said. Police said Thursday he admitted to spending most of the 46.3 million yen, which equates to 360 grand American, of taxpayers' money on gambling. According to Kyoto News Agency, only $530 worth is left in his bank account after he withdrew money 34 times in just over 10 days after the town made the mistake he's being held on suspicion of computer fraud. <laughs> and he had allegedly refused the town request to return the money. Yeah, I bet he gambled it all away. Holy crap. This is, oh my goodness. Uh, come on. Okay. It should be, it should be a given. It should be a pretty well understood given that when you get recovery funds, you know, don't, don't, don't do stuff like this. Like it should be like an understood thing that doesn't need to be sort of explained verbatim, let alone have happened to the degree that it shows up in the international press. Like, uh, uh, gambling? Really? I, and this was posted uh, like three days ago. This, this went up, uh, the Associated Press ran this on May 19, or at least Huffington Post ran this on May 19. I'm not sure if this is uh, any older than this because the AP is kind of sourced on this, but anyway, there's um, any more information that y'all might be curious about on this, uh, the link is in the description for this and all of our other topics tonight. So man, this just this just blows my mind, I'm being honest here. Like this is, I, <laughs> this is something I would expect from like, uh, from, an, from an American computer fraud person, like not, uh, not like this far removed from America. At least I'm, I'm, I'm saying that just judging by basically the degree to which I've been seeing that sort of thing in American press uh, from people who are like buying luxury cars, you know, vacation homes and stuff like that with emergency relief money. You know, it's extremely serious financial crime. You know, I, anyway, anyway, let's let's move on. Let's move on. Ugh, it's it's frustrating to watch because you know, like that money is like it's it's needed to help get people through like serious times. You know that we're in right now, and it's like. I can't, I'm, let, let's, let's move on, let's move on. Um, we may have time to get through one more uh, before we get to the top of the hour here. Let's see, we're just sort of like rolling through this list here from the bottom to the top. Uh, here we are, top, oh no, oh no, I heard about this one. This is from uh, the UK publication, The Mirror. Toddler orders 31 McDonald's cheeseburgers after grabbing his mom's phone. Oh boy, this is this this kid is going to be grounded well through high school for this. Um, here we go. Wow, that's crazy. Because <laughs> it's like it's not just this. It's like who knows what else the kid did. Oh my goodness, a two-year-old boy orders ordered himself thirty-one McDonald's cheeseburgers after grabbing his mom's phone and jabbing wildly at the screen. Really? <laughs> he somehow managed to open a food delivery app. And soon a driver was knocking at the door with a box full of burgers. Kelsey Golden from Texas, USA, was left bemused by the huge delivery, but soon she realized what had happened and paid the $61 bill alongside a tip of $16. Okay, well, at least there's a, there's a generous tip for the delivery driver. 
Luckily, Kelsey saw the funny side and shared the post on social media showing her son next to a mountain of cheeseburgers, offering them away to her followers for free. Hey, so there you go. And yeah, there's the culprit and the ill-gotten gains right there. Talking to Instagram, Kelsey wrote, I have 31 free cheeseburgers from McDonald's if anyone is interested. Apparently, my two-year-old knows how to order DoorDash. <laughs> she said she had been using her computer when her son grabbed her phone, but she let him have it, assuming he would play with the camera. Speaking to local news outlet KRIS, she added, quote, he usually likes to take pictures of himself, and so he was doing that. I thought I'd lock the phone, but apparently I didn't because then DoorDash came with 31 cheeseburgers. I didn't know what to do with them. He only ate half of one, so I posted on the community page on Facebook here in Kingsville and asked if anybody wanted some, end quote. Okay, so this is, let this be a public service announcement in two different ways. Way number one is make sure that you have control over your device. You can't just leave that around in the vicinity of a small child. You know, like we live in an age where babies have access to their own iPhones. You know, kids know how to unlock your devices, you know, especially if you don't really put much effort into like your pin code or your pattern or however you secure your device. You know, it should be basically a given by now not to do that. That's number one. But number two, the other thing that I would take away from this, I guess, is like, how do you have your phone set up that you can leave it, you can think that it's locked just enough to leave it able to take pictures, but the whole rest of the phone is left, is left, uh, it, it still has a device lock. Like usually there's, there's some extra uh, security apps you would have to put on your phone that can facilitate that. That's a feature that's usually called something like app lock or something like that, where you can actually like put a secondary unlock code on your phone. So there's the lock code that gets you past, hang on a second. So there's the unlock code. There's the unlock code that gets you into your home screen on your phone, if it's, you know, iPhone or Android, whatever. And then if you access one of these specific apps that you want to lock down, your security app on your phone kicks in and presents another pin code screen or another pattern screen or whatever. So you have to put in this second stage code in order to get into the app in question, whether it's, you know, DoorDash or eBay or whatever financially sensitive or situationally sensitive app you want to put behind that other pass, uh, passcode wall. But like, <laughs> something tells me like, I, I'm kind of, I don't know why my spider sense is going off on this and thinking that on the chance that this parent didn't have a second stage pin code gate in place for DoorDash, you know, I mean, it should stand to reason that if the kid can access the camera he can access DoorDash. He can access anything else on your phone. He can access your camera roll. Oh dear, <laughs> you know, like that's that. These are these are things that again should kind of go without saying. I guess like if you're a parent of a young child, I know, like especially in an age where a lot of people are working from home, that sort of thing. You know, it's easy for things like that to sort of slip in between the cracks because you know you have a job to do, you have a family, to, you have a you have a child to to support. You know, I'm not a parent myself. I can only, I'm just using like basic common sense empathy here, you know, in, in saying all of this, but like, I feel like there needs to be sort of a public service um, to like really sort of make sure like above and beyond just putting out YouTube videos about this, there need to be like more free technology um, classes basically for otherwise non-technologically literate parents, especially non-technologically literate parents of young children, you know, where stuff like this can happen at best. Can you imagine 
like a small child getting access to your phone and say ordering a whole car from Carfax, let's say, you know, like that's that's <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars that you're on the hook for, you know, especially if like if we were in the age where, you know, apps can be set up in such a way that it's literally a couple of button presses to generate a loan in your name to virtually sign something. And that signature is legally binding on a lot of apps like that. And but it's but it's your toddler who is just trying to get to the camera. It, it's that's that's a special degree of frustrating if that happens. But anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, here we go. Let's make this the last one. Vase kept in kitchen turned out to be 250 year old relic and sold for one and a half million pounds. Wow. Um, okay. So this is, let's see, the 18th century vase was, this is from the mirror and was published uh, two days ago, Friday. The 18th century vase, I'm just gonna say vase. The 18th century vase was brought by an English surgeon in the 1980s for a few hundred pounds and passed down to his son who had no idea it had such value in history. It was only when visiting, an, it was only when, vis, when a visiting antique specialist spotted it in their kitchen that he realized what was sitting in his home and estimates put its value at around 150,000 pounds. But when it went under the hammer, a bidding war began and the vase finally went for 1.4 million pounds, including a buyer's premium, setting a record at auction house Drewatts, D-R-E-W-E-A-T-T-S. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, but there's the vase. <laughs> um, and that is uh, really expensive, really inexplicably expensive. This is a this is one of those one of those situations that whole episodes of Antiques Roadshow gets sort of like built around because of the unexpected value of this. One onlooker said, "quote The atmosphere was electric. The bidding on the phones went backwards and forwards. It was crazy." End quote. Excuse me. The result shows the high demand for the finest porcelain produced in the world. Da 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 da. So okay. Lots of uh, ornate detailing in here. That, I don't want to turn this into too much uh, Antiques Roadshow sort of thing, but you get the point here. This is uh, it's one of those things where like, this could very easily have been a, just an internal like family heirloom that otherwise never really got a second look. But like, holy crap, like, it stands to reason that you, know, you just never know what might be worth something one day. Like, I don't know if anybody watching this might, be, might still have... Um, you know, baseball cards or other such collectible items from like many years ago. Like, can you believe this actually reminds me? I think I still have Pokemon cards lying around somewhere. Can you believe it's been, uh, eight, let's see, 98, 24 years since the Pokemon trading card game started, at least in America. I think it was 98 when that first run started. I think I still have a few of those cards. It's like almost 25 years later now, 1998. It's 2022 now. I mean, these are straight up collectibles now. It's crazy, you know, how time flies and how much value can be uh, can be fetched for what are otherwise just rather unassuming sort of items or niche trinkets like Pokemon cards. I mean, here's here's an example that's that's uh, of the pottery variety, but still, I mean, holy crap! Like, I guess they what did they carbon date that thing and uh, to to find out the age of it? Let me see. Uh, here we are. Created for the court of the Qianlong Emperor. The colossal vase is two feet tall. I don't see anything in here about how they determined the age. Yeah, that's the end of the story. Oh, no. 
Uh, my crane is about sold. Da, 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 da. Nope, that's that's about it. Okay, they don't give any information about how they determine the value of this thing. Um, I'm just spitballing here, presumably some sort of carbon dating type of situation to find out that this thing that was just kept in somebody's kitchen wound up being a quarter millennia old. But there you go. Uh, apparently, stranger things have happened. Um, usually on Netflix, but every so often, Stranger Things will also happen in the real world, as it turns out. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, I think we can go ahead and wrap this up right about here. Um, whoops, hang on a second. Where's the... Yeah, I think I'll just go ahead and put this thing up right here. There we go. Bam. Alrighty. So um, I guess we'll go ahead and shut this down here. Let me go ahead and shut... Uh, start to wind this down. Thank you so very much at home. Those of you who are tuned in and watching this week's headlines, what was your favorite tonight? Feel free to drop a comment down below in the comments feed here on YouTube. And uh, thank you so much for watching live on YouTube as well as on our Instagram feed at Weekend Showcase. Drop a comment down below to continue the convo and visit any of our social pages. We're at Weekend Showcase basically everywhere, not just Instagram. And we will see you right here Friday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Pacific for another brand new tra uh, trailer reactions show. I hope to see you then. For now, be safe, and I hope you had a great weekend. Showcase you later. I'm Don Shannon. Good night.